apart, everybody. Don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they're located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. We are I. All right, everybody, we're sitting down again with Bridget Shea. So this is going to be like the, the beginning of our series that we're going to do uh, once a month. So like um, I just am absolutely in a debt of gratitude for Bridget for wanting to be able to come on um, once a month. But I know by the amount of downloads that we get uh, for Bridget's podcast, like how much everybody loves the content <laughs> that she can supply us with as well. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, two things, the chakras and the roles and responsibilities of our organs and like how they play into our health, you know, our energy and just like what they represent and what they mean. So uh, again, like welcome to the show, Bridget. Thank you for coming Thank on. Thank you. Thank you for having me once again. Yeah. Um, so break it down. Like I, you know, we, we are in a little bit of a time crunch today and I want to get right yeah. into it right off the bat. So um, okay. throw us down chakras, you know, like we know how many there are. We know there's color references to them. We know where they're yeah. kind of located on the body. Um, but what I didn't know is that it's a relatively new concept. So um, why don't we kind of start with um, the chakras themselves, you know, like, and just kind of break it down and go everything chakra. Okay. So the word chakra itself is a Sanskrit word. So Sanskrit's the, like, ancient language of the Indian subcontinent. And um, 
it's it's not necessarily a dead language because there are some regions in India where it is still spoken today, but they're very small. Not many people are familiar with Sanskrit. Sanskrit, um, or or know how to speak it. So the thing with the with Sanskrit is that each of the sounds in the Sanskrit language is a vibration that resonates with a particular area of the mind-body complex. So when you see images of the chakras, for example, what what you'll ordinarily see are like these rainbow-colored circles, and they're usually oriented in a straight line vertically through like the spinal column area of the body and along the head. And they're usually situated on a, a figure of someone meditating. And there are usually these symbols that are drawn inside those circles. And those symbols are the actual Sanskrit letter that represents the sound that goes with that energy center or that chakra. Chakra means wheel. And wheel, as we know, is something that spins. And so it's recognized that the chakras spin, that there are these vortexes of energy, I guess you could say, that infiltrate the body-mind and they flow through us and they flow out into the air around us and they are like primary hubs of information exchange between our bodies and the external environment. They correlate largely with major nerve plexuses in the body, but that's not the only correlation. Um, They resonate a lot with the endocrine system and the endocrine areas of the body as well. And they have psycho-spiritual attributes associated with each of them. So each chakra can be activated or balanced or uh, subdued or whatever you need to do with it using the Sanskrit sound that's associated with balancing that chakra. Sanskrit has many different sounds. And like I said, each sound balances out a different area of the body-mind, a different part of the brain, or activates it. And, um, and If so, you got those sounds off, would it um, take away or would it, like, interrupt, yeah, like, the energy flow? I think that if... I think that the better you can pronounce them, the more... Like, they're, like it's not necessarily going to... Um, activate or balance an energy center if you aren't pronouncing it correctly, right? It's like a magical incantation. You know, you have to say it just right. You know, like, uh, um, I don't know, some of the things in Harry Potter, you know, where they have to, yeah. uh, Wingardium Leviosa or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> you have to say it just right in order for the spell to work, kind of like that. So, um, so with regard to the chakras, each there are, there are seven primary chakras that lie along the spinal column and the way i envision them is is that they sort of open like they're conical and they open like the point is in the spine and then they open out into the front of the body and the points on the spine and then it opens out into the back of the body 
um, just to give people kind of a visual. It's, that's the way that I sort of envision them. Um, but because there, there, there are more than seven chakras, there are, um, I kind of consider each of the acupoints or each of the marma points in its own little tiny chakra in a sense. So, you know, you could say that there are, you know, hundreds of chakra points, but that there are seven major chakras. And then um, many uh, self-help or, or quote-unquote new age type teachers teach chakras that go on above the head through that same vertical and down below the body into the earth. But in the ancient... Indian texts, they talk about these main seven chakras. And the activation, the connecting to the energy of the chakra, um, clearing, like cleaning the energy of the chakra, opening the chakra, connecting the chakra to other chakras, all of that is what... Kundalini yoga actually is like at its at its root. That's what Kundalini yoga means, um, at least according to the lineage that I studied in. So, if somebody were saying that they were a Kundalini practitioner, they wouldn't necessarily be a devotee of Yogi Bhajan. They would they would be just somebody who practiced Kundalini yoga, and Kundalini yoga is the cleansing of the residue in the chakras and the nervous system, the nadis, so that one can unlock the dormant power in the base of the spine so that that can flow up through the chakras and out through the nadis and into the brain and create a state of enlightenment or samadhi or nirvana. So that's the reason why they say that there's very much like a nootropic effect that comes along like with like kundalini yoga like that like from like what I've heard from people who are very connected with like kundalini yoga it's almost like you know um a real true like um like kind of like pick me up or like you just you feel so alive like you do you you really feel like that you've you've tapped into this resource and like from what I understand, like, you know, there's even some people who think that like you release um, like DMT or dimethyl uh, tryptoline, I think mm-hmm. it kind of how you say it. Um, and like, that's why people feel like so enlightened because they can tap into these resources in the, in the body because we have so much of that, um, that compound in our brain kind of stored and ready for activation anyway. Right, right. And then there's different states of enlightenment according to the ancient yogic tradition anyway. Um, so some of them can be temporary states. Um, there's a state called samadhi with seed, and that means that you can experience a state of enlightenment, but there is still such powerful karma or samskaric knots, which are like deeply embedded uh, knots in in the psyche that one cannot stay in that state or at least one cannot kind of flip that switch in their brain where they're aware of that state, even if they're not always, you know, wandering around blissed out or whatever, that they're, that that is like the the base of the consciousness that they function at, that, that, um, that awareness of connection to all that is that's Samadhi with seed. So it's like they can experience that and then, 
you come back from it. It's kind of like taking a hallucinogen and it, and it flips a switch for a while and it changes the way, not just while it's in your system, but afterwards too, it changes the way you perceive reality and the way you feel about yourself and others and, and the world around you. But, um, but then it, eventually it's like it wears off, whether it's weeks or months or whatever it is. Then, then usually the old patterns of thinking and emotion set back in and then you're kind of where you were and you're like, what happened? And so then there's samadhi um, without seed. And that's when you've cleared any underlying like stuck karmic patterns that have been impeding you and in, in recognizing who you are, not as an individual ego, but as a limitless being in a body. And that samadhi is one that's sustained. That's the samadhi that um, realized yogis attain, like Swami Vivekananda and um, Rama, Yogi Ramakrishna and Buddha and um, various other saints and sages. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I, I find that, you know, like it's, it's again like these topics that seem so complex, but like once you start to kind of understand um, like the feelings that are associated with them, it's almost easier for them or for me to be able to understand them from just like a literal standpoint, because like, I, I feel like when you're talking to somebody about like the chakras and like energy and, you know, like in just like the flow of energy that I've even correlated this down and now I understand I kind of what that feels like in my body, that it's like the science behind why hugs mean so much to us, you know, as people, like, I just feel like when my chakras are, you know, in a line with somebody else's and like, you're embracing that human being, like, I feel like that could be that representation of like that energy exchange between, you know, two human beings is like when your chakras are that close and that much in an alignment that like you start to feel because, you know, like I don't think it's, you know, anybody can refute when somebody feels sad and you give them a hug, like you feel that, like when somebody feels happy and you give them a hug, like you feel that, like, do you think that there could be a representation there? Well, sure. Because it's there, there, um, there are areas of, information flow they're they're like they're like turbines that draw in information and send out an information so like if you give somebody a hug and you feel a certain sense off of them of sadness let's say then that may mean that they've got some heaviness in the heart chakra would be the most simplistic way to describe it and and that you are picking up on the resonance of sadness, that vibration that's coming out of their body and, and into yours. So why do we kind of focus on these seven? Like, like what, what is the purpose? Are they just the most meaningful? Are they the, the easiest to understand? You know, like, I like think it's, I'm sorry. I think it's because they, um, I think it's because they're sort of the most important they're the main ones and they're, they're like what you need to focus on in order to achieve enlightenment. So these seven chakras are, they're, they're the primary places in the body mind complex that ancient meditators perceived as being areas where our mental and emotional impressions get stuck. Mm -hmm. And so like, 
it's not going to do anyone any good to focus on like the 12th chakra over their head. If they're, if the if the other, if there's like five or six chakras in their body that aren't functioning, right. Mm-hmm. You know, cause then they're going to always be ungrounded and spacey and maybe even a little bit delusional because they're not going to be able to anchor into their own physique fully because what's in there is so turbid or congested or whatever it is that it's not comfortable enough to be there. So they'd rather focus, you know, up above the head or something along those lines. And even in terms of which chakras you focus on when um, there's, there's kind of an order to it. Um, And here's the other thing, they're all connected and Once you even, you know, think about one or focus on one, you're going to affect all the other ones. So even though you may think you're focusing on one, it's still like your intention might be there, but everything else is also responding to whatever your thought processes and activities are related to that specific chakra. Everything else is going to kind of react, you know, Which is even from like a science standpoint, like we know, you know, like just with like some certain laws that we know to kind of understand, like in science saying, you know, like, you know, energy cannot, you know, be created nor destroyed, like we transfer and it has cause and effect, right? So like, we would see like, you know, like within these chakras, if you know, if we're focusing our energy high, like we're there, you know, probably the next one above and one below where we're probably going to like affect those ones are just kind of have like a trickle down effect from there. But um, do we have to start like at the bottom, like the base of the spine and, and work our way up or, you know, like, like what's the process behind kind think, of balancing outer chakras? I think that that's kind of the general way that they're taught. But I think sometimes that the um, murkiness can be so intense in the lower ones that it's sometimes best for people to focus on the heart chakra first Mm -hmm. and to cultivate more compassion before they try and work through the issues that correspond with the lower chakras. Um, Would that be because like we need to have compassion for ourselves as kind of a base for emotional healing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we want to keep like there's polarity in nature. So there's positive and negative and what we perceive to be positive and negative. And there are positive and negative attributes to all the chakras. And so a lot of times, like if things are congested in a certain chakra, that tends to mean that more than negative attributes are, are what's stored in that region. And so they can be kind of tricky to deal with. And if you're not in a place where you feel compassion toward yourself or toward other people, then it's not beneficial for you to really go there until, until you are coming from that playing field. Because you're going to need to have something to come back to to balance yourself out because you don't want to get stuck in that vibration mm-hmm. in your daily conscious awareness. You know what I mean? Yeah. And is there, for people who haven't kind of focused any attention and energy, you know, and trying to like connect with their chakras, is there like, like a a feel or like a sensation that goes like when you're really like in tune, you know, with like focusing on as chakra, whether, you know, no matter what practice you're using to be able to get there, like, is it something that like once 
you kind of get further down that road and really understanding yourself, your body, your chakras and the principles behind it. Like, can we connect with something that, that we emotionally or physically can yeah. feel? Yeah. So they're, like I said, they're like psycho spiritual centers. And so, um, the root chakra, for example, is associated with grounding and survival needs being met. A lot of times money issues, um, shame issues can go into the root chakra area, but it's usually stuff having to deal with like not feeling physically safe. It's like feeling physically safe on this planet and protected and supported is root chakra stuff. And then the second chakra, which, so the root chakra is like down in the pelvic area. And then the second chakra is just below the navel. And that is the creativity center. So that's often associated with fertility, but it's also associated with any kind of like creative instinct, creative whim or or passion and in any way shape or form and so creative expression and so that's the second chakra and so second chakra also you may feel like a sense of power from the second chakra um not not in the sense of like having more power than someone else or something like that but just a sense of being comfortable in your own body i would say and then Would children be really in tune with their, with their second chakra? Like, like you just, as you describe it, it's like, like, I just see that that's like a child to me, you know, like free expression, you know, like they're just, they're out there, they're creative. Like they don't have boundaries. They're just, they're kind of like limits. They're exploring. Like, would they be really in tune with their second chakra? And that could be the reason partially why there are so many like lower chakra imbalances when we get older because that creative expression that spontaneity that you know yelling at inopportune moments because that's how you feel like that gets stifled well because we all have to fit in this nice western box to be able to make sure well and i guess just in life in general no matter where you're from like we have this perception of what an adult should be and how they should act and you know Mm -hmm. like what's appropriate and what's not appropriate and you know like all these different kind of standards right so it really kind of seems like that would disrupt you know our second chakra just as like our evolution of life and like what we expect out of quote-unquote like adults or like once we start to you know get you know say 18 plus or 20 plus Mm, yeah and the interesting thing too is that in the in the some of the more East Asian traditions, like in the Japanese tradition, for example, there's a major energy center there called the Hara. And Zen Buddhist meditation largely focuses on anchoring your awareness into that Hara place in your body because it's like where your center of gravity should be. It's where, where it is. is. That? Like where it's where? down, it's like three inches beneath your navel inside. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And then the, the solar plexus is the third chakra. And so the first chakra, the root chakra is usually pictured as being red. The second chakra as orange and the third chakra, the one we're talking about now, the solar plexus is yellow. And that has a lot to do with, um, digestive functioning, the digestive system, um, the root chakra has a lot to do with elimination as well. Uh, the, the second chakra has to do with procreation. 
The third chakra has to do with digestion and assimilation. And it has to do with the ego will and, and knowing who you are. And so that's solar plexus area. And that's, I'd say, just below the diaphragm to the navel. And then the heart chakra is usually pictured as being either green or pink. And some say that the thymus has a chakra and the heart chakra center in the middle of the chest kind of get mixed together and that the thymus is green and the heart is pink. The thymus gland is responsible for a lot of the immune function in the body, especially when one is developing. So, um, and green, like the spring green is associated with healing. It's a healing color. Mm-hmm. So um, that pink rose color, and oftentimes people use rose quartz crystals to balance out or to open the heart chakra. And the heart chakra is responsible for one feeling joy and connection and calm. Okay. And so the fifth, sh- the sixth chakra wait a minute, where am I here? Fifth chakra is the next one, and that's in the throat area, and that's usually indicated as being like an indigo blue color. And that chakra is called the throat chakra, and it's associated with being able to express yourself. So you might have creative energy, for example, that you want to tap into from your second chakra, but if you aren't able to express it, or if you have any difficulty expressing how you feel or if you're someone who's always kind of stifling how they feel in order to make other people feel comfortable or, um, or for whatever reason, you're not expressing how you feel, then that can, if it's something that one does chronically, it can like lock up the throat chakra mm-hmm. or congest it. Yeah. Would that have anything to do then like with like um, like an improper balance of like your thyroid or anything like that? Like is there a correlation? I think it probably does. I think yeah. it probably does because, I mean, if you are if you are kind of shutting yourself down in a certain part of your body, in, in your like mind-body system, then it's not getting the flow that it needs. And I think that that eventually leads to some kind of physical imbalance, or it can lead to some kind of physical imbalance. Well, and- we look at like what we know, um, sorry to cut you off, that, um, you know, I think it's pretty widely known that like when we suppress our emotional state, you know, and we hold that with inside ourselves that, you know, we do usually end up with some autoimmune issues, you know, like as a result of that, yeah. you know, then obviously like with the, with the autoimmune issues and, you know, you look at how that's going to affect like your cholesterol levels, you know, like LDL cholesterol levels and like the spin off mm-hmm. of that. And then if you have any improper thyroid function, like there's like, you kind of see how all those can kind of really come into play, you know, especially with that chakra being out of balance. And, you know, if, especially if we're internalizing those feelings and like the spinoff effect of that, um, like I, I just see it, like I kind of see it clear in my mind, like as you're, as you're speaking, like, like how, like, and then, you know, like our digestive system is going to get thrown off and then our, you know, like the chakra in the solar plexus is going to be there, you know, out of balance and out of sync too. And it's like, you know, there it goes again, like our emotional state with like our physical state and how, you know, like that bridge is being gapped and then how those two chakras then are out of uh, balance. But like, is it directly caused by our, our emotional state, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What's the next one? So after the throat chakra, where do we go from there? 
third eye center. So it's kind of between the eyebrows and just above. And that's, um, that's more of a purplish color sometimes. Sometimes people will make that indigo and make the throat chakra more of a lighter blue. Um, so that third eye center is responsible for our sense of intuition. Mm. And for just kind of knowing things for, like with our sixth sense. It's a sixth chakra, and it deals with our sixth sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is um, like a master control chakra for the rest of the chakras in the body. And I, for, based on some of the studies I've done um, and practices, it's sort of a bridge to a whole other system of yoga that happens like from the eyebrows up. So um, that's uh, Hiryang Garbhaya Yoga, and it's something like after in Kundalini, like after you get through the major chakras, that there are like other chakras in the head that you have to go, like a path you have to go through in order to get like through the top, through the crown. Mm-hmm. And um, so, um, so that's the sixth chakra. And then the crown chakra, of course, is the seventh chakra. And that one's either pictured as purple or white. And that's sort of like that um, transcendental connection chakra. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, it's just like, and you can kind of, you know, like when, when I look at like that, like that energy flow, like I'm, you know, just through like a lot of like my meditation practices and stuff, like I've, I've kind of got to this point now when I'm meditating, like I feel like I have like my physical body, but I was meditating with one of my really good friends today. And, you know, like as we were, you know, sitting next to each other, I felt like I was there, but because he was so at peace with himself, I kind of felt like there was a part of me that was shifted a little bit over towards him. And I was really leveraging, not that I wasn't at peace with inside myself too, but like, I felt like I was almost connected more with like how peaceful he was. And I came, became so much more peaceful myself. Um, And just like, as you're talking about like how, you know, like this, like the seventh chakra being like, you know, like the out of body, like experience, I've been trying to figure out like, you know, like what that might be and like, you know, what that feeling may be where like my body feels so heavy and the heavier my body feels, the more I feel like there's this part of me that is slightly disenfranchised with my physical self. Like it's Mm kind of slightly out or slightly over or slightly up. Um, Does that make sense? Like at all? Like, um, do I just sound like a crazy guy talking right now? No, (laughs) to someone else you might, but not to me. (laughs) Um, I think that, that, um, well, there's two things. The first thing that popped in my head is that there's an actual state of kind of consciousness you go through in the whole process of becoming self-realized that incorporates a slight kind of disgust for the body. Yeah. Um, and so it's not, it's not something that it's kind of a transient state that you move through to, so that you can understand that you're not your body, but at the same time that we're still, you still have compassion for the body and you still 
honor it and you still love that it's serving you as well as it is in this lifetime, but that, that that's not who you are. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, they describe it in the, in Patanjali's yoga sutras as a disgust for the body, but um, it's, it's not necessarily that only it's all of that other stuff I just said. It's an awareness that you're not the body. Yeah. Um, and then that sensation that you're slightly, I would, you know, I would try and connect with what that is when you're feeling like you're a little bit above or a little bit next to yourself or whatever. Like there are, there are the five bodies in the yoga system. And that's kind of, I think it, it, for some people that would be more what they focus on even other than the chakras is the five bodies. And so we have this wisdom body and all the, all the bodies are kind of wrapped up inside our physical form, but they might be perceived as being larger than that. And so the wisdom body is sort of like the witness. It's like the observer. It's the, it's the grandparent, you know, the one that's not responsible for, for putting the smack down on, on the kid, <laughs> mm -hmm. but they're like the one that can just see and appreciate and love and, and, and is like that safe space, but also very wise. And so maybe there's a bit of like a connection with that body that you're experiencing, or even the bliss body, depending upon how you're feeling at the moment, which is that sense of being like, of actually not having a boundary of, of having more of a sense of connection with everything than a sense of a boundary from everything. And, uh, and so that could be part of it. Another part is that that could be like sort of a way that a person can step out of themselves a little bit when they're feeling too heavy inside. So I would play with that and see like which of those things, or maybe it's something else entirely that you come up with, but just kind of ask your wisdom body to give you, you know, guidance. Like what, what is this that's happening? Why, why do I feel like that? And yeah, you'll, lead me down the path. You'll get an answer. Yeah. Cause I actually, it, it was really about three weeks ago. I had a very like uncanny experience too. that. If somebody would explain this to me a couple months ago, I would have been like, that's a little far-fetched. Like, but since it happened to me, um, I just find it to be, I, I don't know what it means to me, but I just, I know it's significant. So um, I was meditating one day and one of my really good friends um, just happened to like pop it into my mind. And, you know, I just, so I texted him like when I was done, and I'm like, you know, I just like, I really want to let you know that you're enough. Like for whatever reason, like in my, in my practice today, you came into like my mind and the only thing that I could focus on that I couldn't get it out of my mind is I just had this overwhelming sense that you need to know that you're enough. So like I was in Langley, he was in South Surrey, it's about 30 minutes away. Um, mm -hmm. But his wife is in Australia. The next day during her meditation practice, and we haven't talked for weeks since she's been gone, she texts me out of the blue and she's like, I was meditating today and I just need to know if you're okay. And I was like, that is so odd because I just texted your husband yesterday when I was meditating and I told him that I had to, I, I just needed to let him know that he's enough. And then 
you're and I show that you're meditating and then you have this connection with me asking if everything is okay. And like we had we like I said, we hadn't talked for weeks. So it was just it was this weird triangle, like we're so far removed from each other. Well, I am with like his wife, but it was just this really interesting experience that like I went through and I would I just I feel like there's there's something to it that can be explained. I just don't know what it is. Yeah. It's very strange. Uh, we can so, have, yeah. But uh this would probably be a good way like like time frame wise because I would love to be able to talk about the organs and the organs and the body and their responsibilities and just kind of just from like an eastern perspective like what um like what that what they mean like their roles their responsibilities and just kind of go like everything organs for us. Okay. So um in eastern medicine there are five emotions or consciousnesses not emotions consciousnesses that are seated in the human body so there is yin and there is yang and yang is what is ethereal or intangible and yin is what is tangible so these aspects of consciousness are intangible experiential realities for us so those are anchored into the yin of the body. And each one of those aspects of consciousness is anchored into a particular actual organ. So, for example, they're, they're called the wushan in Chinese medicine, the five spirits. And so the, the main one, the one that's called the shen, is anchored into the heart. And the heart is considered like the most important organ in the body. And people might say, well, the brain is the, the most important organ in the body, but the ancients recognized the heart as an extension of the brain and the heart as being the seat of, of the consciousness in general and that any imbalance in any other aspect of our consciousness will show up as a Shen disturbance. So it would be like if you look in somebody's eyes and you're not seeing a sparkle or gleam, then there, or if you're seeing like too much activity, then there's a Shen disturbance. Mm -hmm. And so the heart Shen is responsible for us feeling a balanced sense of joy. So being able to experience like, really deep joy in one's life, that appreciation of the little things, that deep gratitude and, and just not joy that you're like running around going, woohoo, although that can happen sometimes too, but joy in, like I just said, everyday life, the little things, you feel joy around a child or whatever, change of season you really love, you just feel joy for things. That is an expression of the Shen. If one is not able to connect with that sense of joy in one's life, or if there's an excessive experience of joy, like um, in a like say one goes into sort of a manic phase or something like that, that's too much joy, and that's not good for the heart. The heart, from the Chinese medicine standpoint, um, so any so each of these aspects of consciousness. The Shen, for example, is responsible for managing the joy that a being experiences. 
And so the heart organ in Chinese medicine is responsible for the expression and experience of joy, but also can be injured by too much joy or an insufficiency of it. And so the, the next Shen is the Pa, and that's P-O, and it's attached to or anchored into the lungs. And the Pa is the aspect of consciousness that comes in when it's, it's the only Shen that's, that's totally present at the time of conception. It comes in and it's like, it's that, that energetic that of holding and um, accompaniment that, that stays with the being throughout their lifetime and it stays with the body at death. So like some yogis um, have been said to be, and saints have been said to be extremely well-preserved. And that could be because they have had such strong chi or pranic cultivation practices that their, that their shen got so charged that the paw even got really, really supercharged. And then it sort of, when it stays around after the body dies, it doesn't decompose as quickly. As can this more- also be why some people can be pronounced like clinically dead and then come back to life like 10 minutes, 20 minutes? Like there's this case I can't I remember. I was listening to this podcast where um, they're explaining um, they're talking about like hyperbaric chamber use. And there was this young lady. I can't remember how old she but I think she was like a teenager. She was clinically dead for two hours, but she was in a hyperbaric chamber and she ended up coming back to life like it was. I can't remember where it was, but like there's all these instances that, you know, happen around the world where like people have been clinically dead and have come back. Like, would that be a correlation with that where, you know, like they were just so charged that even though their, their body might've been clinically dead, they were able to be able to come back at a, at a point Would would there be a correlation there? Good question. There could be. Yeah. When, when someone is, um, well, we would say that when someone's had a serious, event like that that the yin and the yang have separated Mm -hmm. and maybe the yang was just hanging around and it somehow was still tethered and it anchored itself back in okay that's interesting what i would envision anyway yeah um and sorry to cut you off in in the middle that's a good question it's interesting Um, so the paw is anchored into the lungs and in Chinese medicine, the lungs are responsible for, um, processing grief and they're injured by unprocessed grief. And then the yi is the will, but it's, uh, or I'm sorry, the yi is associated with the spleen and the stomach. Most, it's anchored into the spleen, and it's responsible for processing. It's like your conscience. It's responsible for processing, like, worry. And so, when, so it's not good to eat when you're worried. Like, if you're actively, like, freaking out about something, it's best if you have to eat to eat something light and to be as conscious and present with it as possible. Um, because that, because the, the, the digestion can't do those two things at once in Chinese medicine. 
Um, if there are teeth marks around the edges of the tongue, it means that there's a spleen chi deficiency. And I'll, I'll often um, recommend to people that they're addressing their overthinking and overworrying. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it's not good to, like, for example, watch TV when you eat or read while you're eating or anything like that because any kind of, like, mental processing it takes away from the digestive function in the body because the spleen is responsible for the transformation and transportation of food and fluids throughout the body. So if it gets depleted from overthinking, it it just isn't going to be able to do as great a job at breaking things down and assimilating. See, which is really interesting because like I have such a diverse um, community of friends that are very close to me. So I look at the ones who are Mediterranean and like what like food is all revolved around like you know like conversation and fun and laughter and like something that would take very much away from like the actual processing then i have a lot of friends who are asian and there's not a lot of talking and it's very much just like you kind of eat and people are quiet and like you know everybody's kind of like you know men are here women are there you know like there's like a little bit of conversation but there's not as much of emphasis like um, yeah, but you know, with the Mediterranean cultures, you're not going to be in like fight or flight when you're experiencing connection and joy and, and laughter with other people, right? You're going to feel more like your parasympathetic nervous system is going to be on. So even though you're not being quiet and meditative with your food, it's still better than what we do in, in the Western culture, most or the, yeah. uh, at least American culture a lot of the time. Yeah. What, turn on turn on the TV and everybody sits around mindlessly watching yeah. TV, eating, like, yeah. you know, high-processed foods and with tons of preservatives. Like, that's not healthy for our digestive system. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Right. Eating while you're driving, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's the yi. So the yi is, is – it's called the intellect in Chinese medicine, but it's, it's not – it's more like the mental activity. Than, it, than what we would think of as intellect. And then um, the juror is the will, and it's um, anchored into the kidneys, and it's responsible for processing fear, and it's injured by fear. And the kidneys are the root energetic for the entire rest of the organ functioning in the body. So once the kidneys get depleted, then... Um, pretty much everything else is running on low fuel. And um, so it's very important to be able to process fear and not just ignore it or repress it or avoid it because like any of the emotions that I just discussed or mental states, um, it can really, um, it can really create an imbalance in the system. And um, when I say that the juror is the will, I don't just mean it's the willpower like, oh, I'm going to make my New Year's resolution and I'm going to stick to this or that or I'm going to do this diet or whatever it is. It's not necessarily willpower like that. It's um, Although that can be an aspect of it, it's more of a superficial aspect. It's more like the will, like what is your reason for being and are you able to follow it? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more there's a lot more depth to it than, than what we normally think of as the willpower. 
So um, is the kidneys like a place where like like one would kind of start, you know, like like you know, if there was um other areas that had disruption to it, like other organs that had disruption to them, like would you start with the kidneys as kind of like sometimes. a way to understand like yeah, sometimes? Sometimes we do, yeah. Um, I find a lot of, I find that I do some kidney tonification a lot of the time, actually, because I think everyone's just so depleted from all of the distractions that they have and the responsibilities nowadays. And, you know, we're not getting great food and we're not always breathing great air and there's just a lot going on. So it can be very depleting. Well, and even like kind of like the transfer between like, you know, like if our kidneys are like in the representation is like, like our will, like our reason for being like, you know, because especially within like Western culture, like we might understand our reason for being, but then we have this quote unquote like responsibility that we should follow because we feel like this is the correct path because this is the 2.5 kids with the dog, the white picket fence, and this is the way I got to go. So like, you can see the battle between those those two areas because we're not really coached to be able to like walk down the path. Like I think it's more prevalent now. There's a lot yeah. of like, you know, live your best life, you know, like right. do all these things. But like before they weren't like, it was very much like nose to the grindstone, find yourself yeah. a good nine to five job, you know, stay there till retirement, do the right, right. thing. All those. Well, I think of- now it just manifests in different ways. I think it manifests as all of the, expectations that society has for us um, as far like calling in sick to work or something like that. Like nobody should be going into work sick, especially if they're contagious, but it's frowned upon if you don't go to work in most places. So I'm sh- it's not that way everywhere, but it's just one example of, of one of the things that is kind of sitting on most people's shoulders when they're faced with, you know, do I follow my gut or do I do what I'm quote unquote supposed to do yeah. or expected to do or whatever. Yeah. Uh, we got five more minutes. So like, where are we going? Organ. What's that? I got one more organ. Uh, that's what I didn't say. Like, I was the only we have five more minutes. I want to make sure that we go through them all so that we don't sure. run out of time. So um, the last one, and I saved it for last because it's the liver and the the shen or the aspect of consciousness that's anchored into it is called the hun, and that's the ethereal soul. And that's the soul that, if you believe in reincarnation, stays with the body through incarnations. If you don't believe in reincarnation, then it's the soul that, when the body dies, it's still wherever it is. It's still there somewhere. Um, so that one is anchored into the liver. The liver is responsible for processing anger and it is injured by unresolved anger. Mm-hmm. And the one, if there is, um, for example, like a deficiency of blood in the body and in the liver, people will oftentimes wake up in the middle of the night at liver time because the hun cannot anchor at the time when its organ is most active. And so it's like floating and it wakes you up. So if you wake up between, yeah, one and three in the morning, then think about that. 
<laughs> so, like, I find if, you, if, if our liver is associated with, like, you know, like, our soul, no matter what you feel like is the end result for this soul, um, I find it very interesting because, like, alcohol has such, like, an impact on our liver, but we also know that alcohol also has a very big impact, like, on our mental health. Like, I've, I know I've run across this statistic several times that, you know, like, regular alcohol consumption makes you about 20% more depressed, even if you don't feel depressed. Like, it's just well, that it's depressed, like, we know these things, you know, but, like, really, like, you know, it's not just making, like, us depressed or, like, it's not making, like, what we would associate, like, as an emotional depression – like we are really like depressing like our soul, like our like our soul has this ability to be able to move on in what supersedes us. Mm-hmm. I find that to be like a really interesting like part, like and again, like all these like correlations that we can we can make, right? Or we're drawing some film across it, you know, yeah. so that we can't fully connect with it or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, I know it's kind of like that, that time. I know you got a patient coming up. So like, I know yes. any other questions I asked, you're going to rabbit hole. So we only got a few more minutes and stuff. So um, we should probably end it there. And I just, again, okay. want to be able to thank you and kind of like how fast this time goes by every time we start talking. Just it does always go by fun. really fast. <laughs> yeah. So um, thank you very much, Bridget. I really appreciate you coming on and really look forward to our next conversation. And I hope you have a wonderful day and enjoy the time with your next patient. Thank you. Thanks, Bridget. Yep, bye-bye.